Let's stand together today and let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Father, we thank you for this verse that reveals just one of your key directives, one of your key uh, revelations of how you work in our lives. We know all things that happen in our lives aren't good, but you take even the bad things and you can turn them to good. And Lord, we just pray today you'd help us to capture the truth of your word and how your word works in our lives and how your spirit works in our lives. Today, you know the trials that we face and we pray you to give us strength to face those trials, uh, Father, as kingdom believers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The AD series that's being shown right now on Sunday nights is just a tremendous way uh, to bring uh, the, the book of Acts uh, to light and uh, to a vision in your life. I encourage you with your family to watch it. I encourage you to read through the book of Acts so you can see where they get the timelines wrong a little bit every now and then and get some of the things wrong a little bit. But you can just take the book of Acts and... Uh, and begin to let it come alive in your home and to begin to talk about some of these principles of how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. The book of Acts is filled with the revelation of the power of God. It, it starts off with Jesus revealing himself after his passion. And the Bible says, with many convincing proofs, time and time again over 40 days, to prove to the disciples and the apostles that he has risen from the grave. He then tells them that he's going to leave and for them to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, that they'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We then see Jesus ascending into heaven and telling us, and, and the message coming through the angels, that the same way he's leaving, that he will come again. We see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, and the, the empowerment of the church and the church bursting into life on this earth with power and with authority. In chapter 4, we see Peter and John as they're proclaiming the gospel, arrested, put in prison, brought before the Sanhedrin and threatened and told to not speak in Jesus' name again. But they go and they pray for power. And in chapter 5, the, the disciples come back into Jerusalem and miracles take place. God does amazing things among the people, and they end up being arrested and thrown in prison for the night. And during the night, they are freed from prison by an angel and are back out in the courtyards preaching the gospel and, and seeing miracles happen when they are again arrested and this time beaten. And we see this, this change of, of mind and heart, this, this thing that's so... Uh, you know, contrary to the, the way that we would think, that instead of being questioning God about why they've been beaten and why they've faced this trial, they fi that we find them thanking God that they're counted worthy to face that kind of a trial. Chapter 6 and 7 tells us the story of Stephen who becomes the first martyr of the church. And chapter 8 begins to reveal to us, and we, begin, we meet this character, Saul, who would soon become Paul, but in the beginning stages of chapter 8, it says that he is ravaging the church. Ravaging the church. 
going door to door, persecuting believers to the point that the church disperses across the Roman world. The time of testing and trial had begun, and it still goes on today. We see, we see it on TV today with the martyrdom of people, even babies, simply because they're believers in Jesus. So hear me, friend. This may not be a word that uh, makes you want to jump and, and shout and run around the building today, but trials are a normative part of believers' lives. They have been from the earliest days of the church, and they will be until Jesus comes that second time in the clouds, just like he left in the first time and calls us home. James, the brother of Jesus, would write to the believers around the known world in one of the earliest books of the New Testament, talking to them and telling them how to, ha- how to see trials. So he says in James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now here he starts. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Does that seem like an odd statement to you? You're facing a trial, and James looks at you and says, count it a joy. Consider it, let your heart rejoice in it. And then he goes on to tell us why. And this is part of what we have to consider in all of the trials that we face in life. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We begin to discover here from God that us being mature and complete is more important than us being comfortable. God could make us comfortable. He's going to make us really comfortable someday. But right now, he's concerned about us being mature and complete. And the way that happens is through trials. Now, I want you to also capture this through trials of many kinds. Not all trials are the same. There's many kinds of trials. We're going to talk about a couple of them today. Peter alludes to this also in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So again, he's talking about trials and he's talking about rejoicing in them. Then he goes on and he tells us why. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, greater worth than money, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter and James both recognize that there's all kinds of trials that are going to come our way and so there's these two key truths. There are many kinds of trials many kinds of trials that are coming our way that happen in our life and God can take even our worst trial and turn it to good. Even the worst thing that happens to us, God will take it and turn it to good. He will use it for his glory for eternity. We should understand trials because many times as Christians, we don't. 
One of the typical mistakes that Christians make is, is we see every trial as an attack of the enemy. But there are many kinds of trials. Many things happen in life that puts our faith on trial. What do we mean by that? There are events that happen to us that test whether we're going to live the way God would have us to live, whether we're going to show his wisdom and his glory, or whether we're going to revert back into the flesh, revert back into the old man, and live the way, God, the, way the enemy would have us to live. We're going to talk and act and conduct ourselves with despair or anger or frustration, or whether we're going to continue to live in faith, believing and trusting God. So uh, we'll talk about a couple of them here real quick. And, and honestly, I'm, 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 the first and the last one, for many Christians, are the hardest ones for us to accept as, as, as what they really are. We, we want to put some, and you know, we want to attach something else to these kind of attacks. When I was single and living alone, I was given a, at Christmas one year, uh, I was given uh, from one of my relatives a, a very nice cashmere sweater. It felt good. Have you ever had a cashmere sweater? They feel good. They're expensive. I didn't know how expensive they were when I got one. I'd never had one before. I, I questioned many times since then why my parents had never bought me one, but they had not. They'd just given me regular old sweaters, you know. So here I am, a young 20-something-year-old guy, and I've gotten this really nice cashmere sweater. It was, it was a beautiful sweater, and I'm just telling you, I look good in it. I look good in it. I like that sweater. And I wore that sweater just a, a couple of times and I was proud of that sweater, felt good in that sweater, uh, cherished that sweater. I thought, this is a great thing. I never felt anything quite like this. And, and, but as sweaters do, and as you know, young guys do, sweaters get dirty. And so I took my sweater when it needed clean, and I, I threw it in the laundry with the rest of my laundry. Yeah, you see where this is going, I can tell. A little bit later, I'm sitting on the floor in my living room, and I'm folding the laundry, and I pull out this little piece of cloth that looks, looks like my beautiful sweater that can now fit on a Ken Barbie doll. And I, the only thing that was still of its natural, normal size was the little instruction tag that very clearly said, dry, clean, only. That sweater was done. Now, I'm just telling you, I wanted to scream. I mean, I just, I just, I was, I wanted to be mad at somebody. I wasn't married. I couldn't blame it on Renee. I didn't have any kids. I couldn't blame it on them. My mom hadn't done my laundry. I couldn't blame it on her. I couldn't blame it on anybody else but me. I could sit there and say, oh, the devil tricked me into this. The devil didn't have anything to do with it. He may have been standing around watching to see how I'd react to it. But he didn't make me throw that sweater in that. He didn't deceive my eyes. He didn't trick me in any way. I just made a mistake. And I blew it. I saw, uh, recently I saw on Facebook uh, uh, a, a post. And uh, uh, the post said, the post said it, was a, it was a picture of a sign outside of a, a radio station. And the radio station said this, there is a reason for everything. 
Boy, don't we, when, when we're going through some trial, don't we like to say, well, there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. There's a reason I'm going through this. And then it went on to say, sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make dumb decisions. <laughs> now, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Maybe ignorant would be a better word, or maybe just, you know, you're confused it would be a better word. But sometimes, friends, we find ourselves inside of things because we made a bad decision. Uh, we do things. We make decisions, and at times, they become a trial. Will I act like Jesus in this? Will I be a, a Christian in this? Will I try to put blame on others, or will I face the fact that I need to get better at something? Let's, let's just call these choices trials. And as Christians, we want to try to put some super spiritual meaning on top of all of these things, when really the truth is we're walking through this world and we don't know everything, and sometimes we blow it. Now, this is important because if you can't identify your choices trials, you are doomed to repeat them. If you go out on the road today and drive 85 miles an hour down the road, down a 40 mile an hour speed limit road and a policeman pulls you over, the devil didn't cause that policeman to pull you over. You're not being persecuted because you're a Christian. You made a choice and now the choice has led to repercussions that are going to hurt your life. And if you don't recognize that, you're doomed to make those same decisions. In the middle of our relationships, you may have things that happen in those relationships that are happening because you're saying the wrong thing or you're doing the wrong thing or you're acting the wrong way and you want to say, oh, the devil's messing with my relationships. No, he's not. He's just letting you loosen your relationship. You've got to stop and back up and say, wait a second, am I talking the right way? Am I acting the right way? Am I treating people the right way? Am I responding the right way? Or am I just causing trouble every place that I go? These are choices, decisions, and choices, trials. And the sooner we recognize them for what they are and learn from them, the sooner we can get rid of them. Now, there's another kind of trial. These are people trials. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this one. I think most of us know what people trials are. These are trials from people in our lives that push our buttons. That intentionally or unintentionally uh, ravage our spirits. They may be some fallen person that doesn't know God and they're just acting the way a fallen person acts. They may be a person who's a Christian who has choices trials going on. But they come into your life and say things or do things or act in ways that stir us up and upset us. We don't like their decision. We're trying to get them to do the right thing, and they're not doing it. Here's the bottom line. God wants us to love people, and our depth of obedience is put on trial in our response to the people who can push our buttons. Do we let these things control us and manipulate us listen again to what james says because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything listen if people can push your buttons and get you to act like somebody other than a follower of christ 
if they can get words to come out of your mouth that a follower of Christ shouldn't say, if they can get a spirit stirred up inside of you that the, that, that the spirit of Christ is, would not be pleased with and doesn't reflect the spirit of Christ, if you don't show the glory of God in the middle of that, you're not complete yet. You're still incomplete. And this perseverance is coming your way, and if you'll let it come, if you'll take it on and learn the right thing, you'll learn how to, how to die to that old man, and you'll learn, as you, as you learn perseverance, you'll become complete and mature in all ways. But I've got to understand it. This is a trial. Is my faith going to rule me, or is the moment and the hour going to rule me? We're going to face trials, friends, trials of many kinds. What is going to rule my life? What is going to touch me? Now, there are also persecution trials. And here's our tendency, the tendency of some Christians is that every trial gets thrown in this category. Every trial gets thrown over, oh, this is a persecution trial. So we need to carefully inspect and, uh, our trials, especially in regard to, to some of these we've just talked about, to see what, what are they really? What is this trial really about? Now, frankly, in America today, most persecution trials in America have become embarrassing to even complain about in recent times. I mean, what happens to us in America? Somebody laughs at us because we're a Christian and we're naive and ignorant. What happens to us? We get ridiculed by somebody who thinks they're smarter, wiser, more sophisticated than we are. What, ha- what happens to us in Christian? We get left out of something? We're seen as the oddball left out? Maybe you don't get hired at a job or you feel like maybe you don't get promoted at a job because... Your, your walk as a Christian. Now, that's, that can be real trials. That can be real persecution. But if we've, as we've watched the persecution that's going on in our world in this day and this age, in Nigeria, church buildings, barricaded closed with Christians in them, and then the burnt buildings burnt to the ground, killing the people that are in them. That kind of makes our persecution seem a little light, doesn't it? When you think about them going into Kenya, into a university, and, and, and identifying Christian students and killing them simply because they're Christians. We don't send our children off to university with that kind of fear. Families, whole families murdered in Iraq as ISIS comes through their communities simply because they're believers. We've seen men let out to beat sides in Libya and beheaded simply because they're Christians. Our government is finally beginning to recognize these acts as acts of terrorism against Christians, and it's, it's about time. It's about time. And it should call us as a church to pray, to seek God and to call out to God for, for deliverance for people who are facing such persecution. It, make, it, it makes any persecution we face today seem a bit paltry, but it is persecution nonetheless. Now listen, I want us to learn one thing here about this. The New Testament church was called to go to the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. 
the New Testament church had exploded in growth in Jerusalem. Thousands of times added to the church. And yet there was very little going to the world. And then persecution hit. And what happened? Paul, in that moment of persecution, scatters the church to the world. Sometimes, friends, when we don't do what we're supposed to do, when we're not acting the way we're supposed, when we're not accepting the call that God has on us, God goes about another way and allows another thing to happen in our life to stir us to do it. When you don't pray over your family and your children and you don't protect your family and your children in prayer and you neglect to pray for your family and your children, sometimes the enemy gets in a place that should have been protected, should have been kept secure, should have been a place that you had, that you were following and obeying God fully, but you've allowed a door to be open for persecution of some sort to come. And next thing you know, you're crying out to God desperately for your children. Now listen about this in America. The church should be awake today. We should be praying for America today. We should be daily lifting our voices and asking God to move in our country. We should understand as one of the high priorities of our life to cry out to God for an awakening to come in America as we see the pressure of a society pushing us away from the things of the kingdom of God. And if we remain silent in our prayers, the day will come when things will begin to happen that will make us pray. I'd rather rather pray out of foreknowledge than pray out of desperation. Are you with me? I'd rather learn today. It's time to pray today, now, this hour, and seek God for his outpouring than to wait for trouble to come and then to pray. We've got enough trouble the way it is. Now, here's the deal with persecution. When you face persecution, somebody does something to you, you have to stand up in a tough situation and proclaim the gospel or proclaim who you are or refuse to do something that you know is going to cause problems for you because somebody's pressuring you to do something. Here's the promise. God will be there with you. God will be there with you. And he'll give you strength. Number two, the testimony of your life, if you handle it it right, will become a beacon of light to those who see it. This is one of our prayers and should be our prayers for some of the persecution going on in the world today. God, let these men and women who are doing these terrible things to believers see your grace and your glory so clearly through these believers' lives that the day comes like Paul where a light shines in their life and they are forever changed. Let your glory shine through these lives. And the same in our lives as we face persecution. And finally, there's great reward for it. There's great reward when you walk through a time of persecution, whatever it is, ridicule, somebody laughing at you, somebody belittling you, whatever it is, there's reward in heaven for the person who faces that persecution with wisdom. The disciples anointed of the Holy Spirit showed the way through persecution trials. They rejoiced all right now i know i know you're talking about trials isn't you know our most favorite thing but we we, we've got to we've got to be solid in who we are don't we 
Now, there's another kind of trial. There are simply uh, life trials. Do you understand we live in a fallen world? Do you understand that? The Israelite community in Exodus chapter 17 had been uh, uh, set free from Egypt. God had done these marvelous things, amazing things, to get the, the Pharaoh to take go. They'd gone out into the desert, got ready to cross the Red Sea, and the, you know, he, he changed his mind and came in with his armies, and God held the armies back, opened the sea, they passed through the Red Sea and came to the other side, and the, the waters closed on the enemy forever, putting them out of their reach. They just seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, intervention of God after intervention of God after intervention of God. In Acts chapter 17, they come to a place where they thought they would find water. They needed water. Water's a legitimate need, isn't it? So they come to this place where they thought they'd find water, and lo and behold, they get there, and there's no water there. Something's happened, and the, and, and the water's not there. And these people are freaked out over the circumstances of their life. This is a, a trial. You need water to live. Their reaction in that time was to get mad at Moses. They got so angry at Moses that Moses felt like his life was being threatened. He was about to be killed. They began to talk about going back to Egypt that God had just delivered them from. They got all upset over this natural disaster that was taking place in their life. So there they are in the desert needing water, and they don't have it. I want you to listen to this quickly. Sometimes the trial, the reason we're in the trial that we're in is because we live in the world we live in. We're not in heaven yet. This is tough. In this world, things happen and are going to happen that try our faith, that break our hearts, that worry us, that scare us, frighten us, that we don't like. But we're not in heaven yet. They're in the desert. They needed water. Seems like a legitimate need to me. But they failed the test. What should they have done? They should have just simply asked God for help. They should have said, God, we were in Egypt in slavery and you set us free. We got to the Red Sea and the enemy was sweeping in and was going to destroy us, but you set us free. You led us to this point and there's not water here. And Lord, you, you know, we need water. We need water. Will you help us one more time? They should have simply had faith and asked God for help. Sometimes in our life we're facing trials or that, that are simply life trials. Something has happened in the course of our life and the enemy wants us to do exactly what the Israel. He wants us to get mad at God. He wants us to blame God on this thing. He wants us to look at God and say, where are you and what have you, why haven't you intervened for me and why hasn't this happened for me? And, and, and instead of us facing the fact that we live in this world where things happen, 
We're not in heaven yet. He has come so we can go to heaven someday. So we ask the question, God, why'd you let my parents get divorced? Why'd you let me go through this thing? Where are you, God? If this is the way you're going to be, I'm done with it. We put God on trial. God, what did I get in this car wreck? Why did this happen to me or to my family? God, I'm so mad at you. I'm so angry at you. Why did you let this happen? God, why did my, why did my mom die when she was so young? Why did you let that take place in my life? God, I'm so angry that you know, I'm just not going to serve you any longer. God, why am I sick? What's the deal with my God, if you're, if you're not going to deliver me, I, I'm, just, I'm just done with all this, God. Instead of looking at God and saying, God, you have delivered me from sin. You sent your son to pay the price for my sin. He died on the cross for me. You sent your spirit to fill me. And God, where this hurts and where I have questions and doubts and pain in this thing, I know you'll sustain me. I know you'll keep me. I know that when I get to heaven someday, that all of these things will will be behind me and will be done, and I'll know that it's worth it all. And so, God, I'm going to keep following you in this fallen, broken world. We live in a fallen, broken world. Hey, if you haven't noticed, you're getting older every day. You don't have an incorruptible body yet. And unless the Lord comes, we're going to go meet him someday. And we need to put our faith in him. He tells us, all things work together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. And I need to be able to look and say, God, I don't understand this one. I don't know what's going on here. But I understand that if I walk in you, you're going to work this for your good. Your name's going to be glorified even in this. And I'm going to trust you in the middle of my pain and my suffering to walk me. See, we're in a desert in this world. And there are times when we need that miracle touch of God. Don't let that be a moment of grumbling. Let that be a moment of faith. God has not forgotten you. He's not led you out into the desert to let you die of dehydration. He's going to fill you with water from heaven to bless you and to give you strength. He doesn't deny your need. He's just waiting for you to call out and ask for his help and to put your faith in him. Trust him. Put your faith in him. He'll bring you through your trial. And all things will work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Right now, yeah, give the Lord a clap offering for that. Ushers, if you would go and uh, prepare to serve as communion. One of the things that has struck me as we've come to the communion time today, Jesus set this up for us in such a unique way. I mean, I can sit up here and preach today and the enemy can whisper in your ear, that's for somebody on the other side of the church, that's not for you. But when you hold communion in your hand, when you hold that emblem in your hand and that cup in your hand, it's a reminder. This is what Jesus did for you. He cared and loved and died for you. His body was broken 
for you. He paid the price for you so that when that curtain was rent in two and the presence of God became available, guess what? The presence of God became available for you. In your hour of trial, in your hour of need, in your hour of darkness, the Spirit of God is there for you. Ushers, come and serve us, please. In this next moment, if you're going through a trial, it may be, it may be one you brought on yourself. It may be one somebody else has brought on you. It may be a persecution trial or it may just be a trial from this world. But in all of these trials, God wants to work together for good. He wants to move in your life and he wants you to walk as a believer. If you're going through a trial today that you say, yes, I, I, need, to, I need the strength of God, the help of God, to walk through this with great faith. And I just want you to, in this, this moment, as they continue to play and sing, just step out and come before we partake of communion and just stand around this altar and say, God, here I am. I need your strength today. Come in Jesus' name. You know, when, uh, when Paul and Silas were in the jail, and they had been beaten, put in shackles, Life's pretty miserable in this rotten jail, unfairly beaten, and yet they begin to sing. They begin to sing. They begin to rejoice in God. And what happens? The jail cell is shaken. The shackles break off. Now I'm telling you, this isn't a mindset. This is the power of the Holy Spirit inside of their life. And this is what we need. God, in my trial, in my hour, in this moment, we need your spirit to fill us. We need your spirit to help so that we can sing in the middle of the trial. In the middle of the trial. Now notice, their wounds didn't get instantly healed. That jailer took them and cleaned them up and helped them. God allowed for something. He could have healed those wounds in a second. He didn't. He left them with the wounds. He broke the jail cell, but they had to have some time with that jailer so that jailer could come to Christ. There was a purpose in all of this. Father, today we hold in our hand this emblem of the broken body that reminds us as we hold it in our hand that your son faced trials in our behalf. He was broken in our behalf, and now we are his. Around this altar, Father, are trials that if we could hear them would break every one of our hearts. You know them well. And I pray that, Father, in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this thing that they're walking through today, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon them. That's available to us because Jesus broke the bond of sin and let us experience your presence. So we receive this today, Father, in remembrance of what he's done for us and asking for your Holy Spirit to help us in our trial. In Jesus' name, amen. The hope of all mankind for eternity is found at one place. It's found at the cross, Father, and we believe it's found in the shed blood of your Son. So today we say thank you once again. For the hope that we have, not in our works, but in the work that was done for us. And we remember that work with gratefulness and with thankfulness today. 
rejoicing in our salvation, rejoicing in the eternal gift that is ours because of Jesus, your son. And we receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. So good that you could worship with us today. Grace and peace.